was logging into my workstation, working in an operations center doing IT support. And my vision was impaired and, and it was very choppy. I was viewing things frame by frame. And so it made me feel nauseous immediately. And so I, I walked to our bathroom there at work. I immediately threw up just because of the nausea. One of the MRI machines was down and then the other one was in use. And so it would have taken 45 minutes to an hour just to find out, which we all know with the stroke, time is so sensitive. And so they had to make a call and just decide that, well, we're gonna treat it as worst case scenario. They were asking, well, have you had any traumatic issues or, or been in a car accident or something like that? And, and that was where the, the boating accident came to mind. And I asked, well, could it have been a month ago? And, and they said, most definitely. I did speech therapy and, and uh, making sure I could still swallow and pronunciation had, my, my tongue was affected greatly. And so speaking, which I didn't realize actually until recently looking at videos, but my speech was awful. It was very, very difficult to understand. And still some things are, are a struggle, certain consonants or groupings of letters. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Throughout the series, we've heard of a number of different physical traumas that have resulted in a stroke. One such injury is a cerebral artery dissection. This is where extreme positioning, trauma, or rigorous movements of the neck can cause arteries to tear, resulting in blood clots traveling to the brain. In this episode, we hear from Ian Sone, originally from Seattle, now living in Salt Lake City, who suffered a stroke at the age of 25. I'm very much into sports and being physically active. I was a runner in high school, played a lot of soccer, playing in tournaments here and whatnot, and then I ran a little bit in, in college. Yeah, and I was in school at the time at the university, and, and I was actually studying neuroscience, oddly enough. Yeah, my goal is to go to medical school eventually and become a doctor. But uh, I'd just gotten married, been married for about nine months when I had the stroke. Growing up through throughout my childhood and and then even through school, I was always in the hospital just because I was uh, so active. I would break a, a, an ankle or my arm or a collarbone and got stitches just because I was always doing something, climbing trees or jumping off of things and running around and, and just being very physically active. So that was a, and is still a, a very much a passion of mine to stay active and stay healthy physically. I think it's very important and even more so now with the stroke, but yeah, that was me. And then going to school and, and dedicating full time to that and, and just kind of prepping for the future. Kind of the backstory to it is the events leading up to it. So just got married and, and my wife's family goes down to a lake in southern Utah every single summer. It's a just a giant lake where people do a lot of recreation like wakeboarding and tubing and, and boating and that kind of thing. And so we were down there and I was being towed behind a boat on the tube, the inner tube. And before what I would do, because I've been inner tubing a lot growing up just in Washington, and what I'd like to do is kind of grab the, the tube and do a barrel roll in the water and just come out on top again. So try to be a little reckless, I guess. But this time, just uh, it was really tame, just on the water. And I got thrown off the tube, which 
is the goal of tubing. And then I landed flat on my back and it threw my head back and I got whiplash. And so as soon as that happened, I, f- I felt like the neck pain, like, oh man, that really got me. That was a good one. And so that was July 10th of 2014. And for the next month, just going to school, going to work and everything, I, I had whiplash-like symptoms. I didn't think much of it. I'd had migraines growing up, and, and so it's just something else. I had neck pain, headaches for the next several weeks, and then the morning of the stroke was August 7th. It was a Thursday of 2014, and I had rode my bike early that morning to go to work, and I was logging into my workstation, working in an operations center doing IT support, and my vision was impaired, and, and it was very choppy. I was viewing things frame by frame. And so it made me feel nauseous immediately. And so I, I walked to our bathroom there at work, and uh, I immediately threw up just because of the nausea. And as soon as I threw up, it was just crazy how instant it was. I started feeling tingly on the right side of my, bo- my body, and it was perfectly centered that um, there was absolutely nothing on the left side but tingly from the right side and it started at my foot and gradually worked its way up to my jaw area and so I stumbled back to uh, the my work area and uh, I knew exactly what was happening I just had a clinical anatomy course at, at school and a whole section of that was focused on the stroke and the signs and symptoms of of a stroke and so I knew it was happening and I called my spouse and uh, she came and picked me up and we immediately went to the hospital. It was strange though, because when I got to the hospital, it was just tingly. I could still feel things. I could still, uh, I still had coordination and strength. I could still walk, although it was dizzy walking. Um, so it was like I was drunk or something, but it, yeah, it was odd. And so they, they were, not too sure exactly what it was. They, they asked if I had a history of migraines, which I confirmed. And so they were wondering if it was maybe a severe migraine or if it was a stroke. And so to actually confirm that, one of the MRI machines was down and then the other one was in use. And so it would have taken 45 minutes to an hour just to find out, which we all know with a stroke, time is so sensitive. And so they had to make a call and just decide that, well, we're gonna treat it as worst case scenario. And that's kind of how things happened in the ICU. We had to decide whether to take TPA medicine, tissue plasminogen activator, I believe is how it said, but the clot buster medicine. And so deciding whether that was gonna be appropriate or not. And then from there, it was, it was just confirming that just down the road uh, with the imaging, whether it was a CAT scan or MRI, I can't remember, but just confirming that there was a dissection of the vertebral artery. Now the dissection occurs when there's trauma. And so they were asking, well, have you had any traumatic issues or, or been in a car accident or something like that? And, and that was where the, the boating accident came to mind. And I asked, well, could it have been a month ago? And, and they said, most definitely. Uh, these things can take time to develop. And, uh, and then over the course of that month is probably where that clot formed. And, and so thinking right in the, the vertebral artery where it kind of does a little a little jog and, and kind of a U-turn is where the dissection was. And so the inner lining of the vertebral artery had slightly torn and it created turbulence within the, the artery. 
and that formed the clot, which ended up being a stroke in the medulla. And so it knocked out the physical path with the motor function, I guess, and, and then it is affecting me from my jaw down to my foot on the right-hand side. Ian was in rehab for three weeks. I did speech therapy and, and uh, making sure I could still swallow, and pronunciation had my, my tongue was affected greatly. And so speaking, which I didn't realize actually until recently looking at videos, but my speech was awful. It was very, very difficult to understand. And still some things are, are a struggle, certain consonants or groupings of letters. And then occupational therapy was a big one. Zero function. And I guess backing up, like I said, when I was admitted to the hospital, I still had function and everything, but that declined over the next five, six hours. And so that evening, things were touch and go on the 7th of August. And and so when things finally stabilized within a few days, occupational therapy was big importance, just trying to gain function back in my arm, my shoulder, my hand, and then the actual physical rehab of walking and, and movement and everything started within that time frame as well. But trying to stand up and using a support to walk whether it's a, a cane or a crutch or a walker and then I continued physical therapy there at the hospital as an outpatient and then also one of the physical therapy units at the university for the next year and a half going twice a week and then going to some specialty rehab places in Salt Lake City. I was right-handed uh, growing up and, and through my teenage years and into college, but I immediately came, became left-handed. So the stroke was in August. I had one semester left in school. And so I went back to school in January, which was really quick, but I wanted to get back to normal life and try and force myself to get back into the swing of things. And so I had one semester left and I, I broke that down into two semesters and kind of took it a little easier. And so I got back into school in January, just four months later, five months later, and pushed through it. And I finished my degree and learned how to be left-handed through the coursework. So I'm sure my instructors struggled to even read some of the material that I had written down. But I think one of the biggest things I, I've learned with the stroke is just how sensitive time is. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, it was a freak accident that caused this. And so I wanted to make sure moving forward that I was able to choose my own time, I guess, dictate my own schedule. And so that was the biggest thing. I finished school and yeah, I wanted to continue to move forward and I guess spend the time of day as I pleased to. The stroke continues to limit Ian's movement on one side of his body. Physically, I think my, my shoulder and my hip are probably 80% function. They're not 100%. My elbow and then knee are probably... 50% and and then the muscles that are kind of correlated with with each of those so my hamstrings and my my quadriceps and then the biceps and triceps are limited and then my hand and my foot are I'd say 10 to 15% so I don't have much use it's it's like walking with a peg leg so the the ankle is quite limited my wrist and hand are are very limited so I can grab things and, and hold on, letting go is an issue. So if I try to shake someone's hand, it's, yeah, we're stuck. And then using the hand for other things, fine motor skills are very limited. 
So physically, that is is definitely a challenge. I can still use those if I position them or force them to be positioned. And then the psychological aspect, I think, is something I'm still still working through, still coming to grips with. Until recently, I don't think I've felt super comfortable in my own skin just because of comparing myself to who I was before the stroke and the activities that I participated in and now the limitations there. So that's something that still is a work, just kind of feeling how I'm perceived or even to myself, comparing myself to my past self. And I think one thing that's helped a lot is trying new things, things that I didn't used to do. So I don't I don't have that comparison of who I was before. So that's been good. And just seeing that I can still accomplish those things has been great. I think there's two sides, but the physical side and then the psychological as well. So um, still definitely still things that are that are present. I, but I, I will say I am extremely fortunate. Uh, I feel very grateful that I'm still able to do a lot of what I do. Uh, I know a lot of stroke survivors aren't as fortunate and I feel for them, but I feel very grateful. For such an active person, the stroke came as a huge shock to Ian, but he hasn't let it stop him living his life and continues to work hard on his physical recovery. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Ian on learning new things. There's a stroke recovery group who we, like for example, we just had a, a meeting this Tuesday where they talked about sleep and, and how to get better sleep and what devices could be helpful and things like that. So yeah, I've been involved with a number of things. I'm, I'm trying to do more though. And that's my goal for, for the next foreseeable future is to do more, to be able to, to reach more people and, and help people understand that there's a lot of resources out there for us. And opening up online. I think it's healing for me to be able to go through and then untie and untangle some of the knots that are in my own brain and in my own life, but then also helping others, seeing that other people need the support, the encouragement. And then for those that haven't had a stroke, it's, it's a form of inspiration. And I don't think that you can deny that. It's been amazing. And so, yes, I want to do more. Let's hear how Ian decided to get involved with stroke support groups. So within the hospital, a number of my therapists and individuals that were there participated in a group called the Utah Valley Stroke Association. And the whole goal and mission of the, the Stroke Association is to be able to have more community outreach, to be able to help people, individuals that are stroke survivors and caregivers participate in everyday activities, whether it's bowling or golfing event or going to the movies or participating in a like a, a 5k race or a 100 yard walk whatever it is and so I've been actively involved with that group for six and a half years now and I'm a board member on the group and it's it's great to be able to give back and to be able to see what I can do to help people just because I like having my perspective and knowing what more what the need would be or what the want is, I can I can be of more assistance. And so being able to reach out to them. And then there's a number of adaptive type of groups that I have been involved with as well. There's one here in Salt Lake City called Wasatch Adaptive. And they help with providing trikes or hand cycles, whatever is appropriate to people. But there's a large member of the stroke community that participates there, being able to get out and and learn how to bike again, but on a recumbent trike, or they also do skiing in the winter. And so having ski lessons, which is 
amazing. That's something I had never done, but I've learned how to do that. And it's been so freeing. And so being kind of a voice for them now, there's another group called Balanced Art Multisport, and they specialize in triathlons. And so they've done a lot of work with adaptive athletes and helping them learn how to swim. I learned how to swim one-armed, which is awesome. Something I did not think would be possible that I was a little terrified of, actually. But And then running, and, and they do a lot of one-on-one coaching with that. So there's a number of things that I've done. Uh, mostly it's been physical things, just because I, I feel like that's my passion and my background. But also there's a stroke recovery group who we, like for example, we just had a, a meeting this Tuesday where they talked about sleep and, and how to get better sleep and what devices could be helpful and, and things like that. So yeah, I've been involved with a number of things. I'm, I'm trying to do more though. And that's my goal for, for the next foreseeable future is to do more, to be able to, to reach more people and, and help people understand that there's a lot of resources out there for us. After his stroke, Ian found he became more active on social media. I have not been involved in social media at all until just a little bit ago. And so I, with the coronavirus and, and all that's gone down with that, shutting down and everything, I've had a lot of time to reflect and just kind of have some deep conversations with my family. And the stroke has been something, and I talk about the, the psychological effects and that side of the recovery. I think it's been something I've just swept under the rug for six years now. Even some very close family members have said, you don't talk about it much. We don't know that much about it and where things are at. And and I agree, it's been uncomfortable. And so that's something I'm, I'm wanting to do more of. And so that's something I've literally just started. And that's it's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately that I think more people need to do it. Just because the support that I've had in literally just the last month since I've started being more active on Facebook and Instagram regarding the stroke and my my experience with it, my lifestyle now, has been so positive. The comments I've gotten, the, the very first day I made a post, which is probably about a month ago now. Um, I've had, I had two individuals reach out to me and say, oh man, I'm, we're taking care of my my father right now who just had a stroke and and so the 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 ability to i guess connect with people has been shocking to me it's it's been very encouraging just because i feel like there's so much that can be done i feel like having this experience of the stroke i need to do more and so i feel like it's it's be it's becoming a and and should be a calling that i need to get out there and do more and the support has been amazing thus far it's only been a month since i've really even attempted to do that and so it's encouraged me to want to do more and i've thought of a bunch of different things to to want to do moving forward so just writing a book or creating a blog continue with instagram most definitely but also having encouraging other people to share their stories and formulating questions to be able to help them. And I think it's healing for me to be able to go through and then untie and untangle some of the knots that are in my own brain and in my own life, but then also helping others, seeing that other people need the support, the encouragement. And then for those that haven't had a stroke, it's, it's a form of inspiration. And I don't think that you can deny that. It's been amazing. And so, yes, I want to do more. And he believes that the correct mindset is crucial for any recovering stroke survivor. I would say positivity is everything. I think attitude has been something that has been 
uh, strength of mind. And I don't know if that's just who I am, but reading books about that, which sounds cliche and maybe hokey, but it has been a tremendous help to me. Positivity and just how the brain can change itself and how your attitude can can do a lot for you. Positivity is huge. The other thing I think is consistency. Consistency in your habits and your day-to-day, whether that's with your health, sticking to the rehab, continuing to do that, whether it's at home by yourself or in a, in a facility or something more organized. Consistency with your habits and, and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. And then the other thing I think that I've gained a lot from is trying new things, just getting out there and attempting new things has been immense. It's done me a lot of good to realize that I can and still do a lot of new things and accomplish things. And so I think those three things for me have have been game changers, positivity, consistency in my daily habits, and then trying new things uh, has been very healing. And I think that a lot of people would benefit greatly from those things. And then talking to someone that may be a caregiver, a family member, I think and speaking from my own experience, I mean, I, didn't, I never felt any pain. And for me, it was just, a, it's another change in life. It's been huge. There's there's definitely moments where it's it's difficult, mentally, physically, of course. But I almost think the caregiver side of things is, is even more difficult to see someone else go through that. And so I, I think the caregivers need to take care of themselves. I think they, they rely heavily on on being the outlet for that other person, but they need to make themselves a priority as well. And so taking time for yourself, taking care of yourself, I, I think that's absolutely huge. And then the positivity as well, always be encouraging. One thing that I found has been very helpful is is for people to acknowledge and, and say, well, you've gone through a lot or something like that, just to, to make sure that it's not just dismissed has been very helpful. And then also just my, my spouse is very good about this, but just saying, hey, you're not special here. You're just a normal person. Let's go do normal things. And so treating me as such has been great. And so keeping that positivity and, and being encouraging, but also I think the caregivers absolutely need to take care of themselves just because they, they need that energy. They need that chance to refresh their own their own brain their own body and that's what i've seen from my experience although ian continues to experience physical challenges a number of years after his stroke he's decided to face his recovery on his own terms he's also dedicating much of his time to sharing his experiences with other stroke survivors through local support groups and his instagram account coming up in the next episode of stroke stories stuart brushed around and he tried to pick me up. Face, I had the facial droop. Arm, I was paralysed down the right side. Speech, I couldn't speak. And time, and I remember Stuart calling triple zero and saying, I think my wife is having a stroke and he was my fast hero. Don't forget to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear and like to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.